Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to Mainstream by Sifter. My name is Gianni. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Mainstream. But if it's the first time you've ever listened to the show, welcome. Because on Mainstream, we talk about those big high-profile games. And it's hard to say that there's a more high-profile game than this one we're about to talk about now. Uh, but we talk about our experiences playing those games. We take time uh, to really consider them, uh, to in some cases kill every single boss in the entire game that's what we need to do that's what we do here on on mainstream uh where the team from sifter.com.au as well as some of our friends and colleagues in the game um, reviewing and uh, journalism industry jump on to tell us what we really think about these games adam christo has been playing that game that everyone has been raving about and unlike other outlets as, as i said all the bosses are dead fully unless there's some secret hidden ones that are going to be discovered later adam thanks so much for joining us no worries, my pleasure. It's it's hard to go past this game, Elden Ring. Uh, it is uh, the biggest game from FromSoft in the shortest amount of time. There's a lot to talk about, so let's jump right in. This is Mainstream. Shall I turn your runes to strength? Let my hand rest upon you. For but a moment... Adam, I've never played a Souls game past about the first 35 minutes. What is Elden Ring? Elden Ring is, I I think I want to call it the most ambitious game that FromSoft have ever created. It feels like the the pinnacle of all their design exploration and inventiveness across all of the various games that have sort of come out, um, that have fallen under this like Soulsborne moniker from, you know, the original Dark Souls all the way back to the early King's Field games. Bloodborne, Sekiro, etc. It all feels like it's all coalesced together into Elden Ring, which is essentially a super massive open world action RPG game uh, with a very open-ended mythology and story and a really open-ended sense of design when it comes to the world and quests where you kind of get thrown into this massive environment and you can pretty much explore anywhere you want and that can mean ending up in places where you really shouldn't be or <laughs> and challenging those places potentially or kind of following a bit of a main critical path that this game sets up for you as well. It is 
Um, and, and I'm aware that this game has received like ridiculous critical acclaim. Like it's currently sitting as one of the most best reviewed games of all time. Um, and I'm afraid to say I am one of those people now. I having put 110 hours into this game and finishing almost everything that I could in it, I think it might be my favorite game of all time. Be cool, be cool. Um, tell me why is it that you think based on everything you've played so far, um, and me looking at this as a complete outsider to the genre, it doesn't look really dramatically different from other Souls games. I've seen people just getting murdered um, <laughs> left, right, and center in a various different ways. Why is this better uh, than any other game you've played this year, at least, or, or any other game you've played ever? Man, where to begin? I think that, like... First, I want to kind of set up my own experience with the Souls genre, because I think that like a lot of people that have been coming into this game and reviewing it have been veterans of, of these sorts of really hyper difficult action RPGs from FromSoft that can be a bit obtuse at times. And I think for the record, on my end, I hated Dark Souls 1. I bounced off it quite a lot. Um, I remember getting Demon Souls on the PlayStation 3 imported from China and I played like maybe 10 hours of it before I got burnt out and watched a Let's Play of it because I found it too difficult. Um, and Bloodborne was a game that I never finished because I had a lot of frustration with it, particularly the frame pacing and the lag issues in that game combined with the hyper difficulty made me just not want to play it ever. Um, so I kind of come into kind of FromSoft games with a bit of cynicism um and you know while Sekiro was one of the most fun action games I've played in years it was also the most difficult game I've ever played in my life and it still is at the top um I spent like eight to ten hours on the final boss in that game just fighting that final boss over and over to beat it and so going into Elden Ring I had a lot of trepidation about like difficulty about like how hard this game would be if it would be a really rough experience would i get frustrated would i want to turn it off in rage and what i ended up finding out is that this game has this really wonderful kind of flow and rhythm about it where it has the tension and the tenseness of a really good souls game where when you're in a dungeon the stakes are really high you've got limited healing you don't want to make mistakes you're a bit scared as you turn every corner because you don't want to fall into a trap and you really want to do your best. But then it's kind of balanced and juxtaposed with these beautiful moments of silent exploration, of um, of being able to do that thing that I loved in Breath of the Wild where I might just climb a mountain to pick some flowers and check the view, if you will. Um, and it's wonderful to kind of have that balance of uh, tension and release in a game like this. And also because it's so open-ended, there are many ways to overcome the traditional difficulty in a game like this. Um, this is probably the most, um, I guess, like um, accessible game that FromSoft has ever made when it comes to build variety in terms of how you create a character in this world um, that has happened since Dark Souls 2. So there are so many different ways that you can actually play this game. Um, there's many different ways that you can incorporate spells and magic into your repertoire as well which does make things a little bit easier if you want to go that route there is a system called summoning ashes which generally you can only do around boss fights or kind of scary dungeons and big areas in the outside world that might be really tough and you can summon a whole variety of different npcs and kind of monsters to help you 
in those areas. Then there's online cooperation and uh, co-op play for boss encounters as well, where you can bring other players in to help you with really hard fights. And kind of all those things together means that like the friction of what you would normally have in a game like this is removed. You're stuck on a boss and it's really hard and you feel frustrated. It's your choice to stay there and be frustrated. You can turn around and go explore somewhere else, have a lot of fun, spend 10, 15 hours doing something else in this game, come back and just stomp that boss to death like you would in any other open world game. You can go grind some levels like you would in, say, Horizon um, Zero Dawn, then come back to that big dinosaur that you couldn't beat before 10 hours earlier and actually chunk it. And I think that, you know, outside of a tiny portion in the very end of this game, which is basically like a series of dungeons and boss gauntlets that are very linear, this game has an open-endedness to it that allows you to be very experimental with how you play, how you approach problems, and that lowers the difficulty ceiling quite dramatically. Like, it's, it's very easy to succeed in this game if you are okay with dying every now and then, um, and just trying new things. And and that's, I think, the key to this thing is it's like about trying new things. You will die, but if you have fun tinkering and like playing around and experimenting, this is a wonderful game. And that combined with like the environmental kind of exploration and wanderlust that this game has with its, it's, it's such a massive expansive world, but it has that same sort of handcrafted care that Breath of the Wild had where Every mountain feels important. Every landscape that you see in the distance feels like something you could actually reach. Uh, you'll actually be pouring over the map like you would in Breath of the Wild, looking for interesting topography on the map to kind of go, ooh, that might be somewhere where something could be. I want to go there. It has that same sort of like itch in terms of exploration that so many open world games fail at. Um, or put markers on your map instead to kind of encourage you to go there so that you checklist activities off in a zone. And that's really fun to me. I, I can't quite describe why that clicked with me so well. But all of those things um, combined together just make a really, really evocative exploration action RPG that um, is going to be really hard for me to beat, like, I think the Breath of the Wild comparisons are pretty strong with this game from a lot of people, but really what I go to is Skyrim. I think about that that early days of when Skyrim first came out and like you leave the first like tutorial dungeon area and suddenly you're like, I can go anywhere. I can do anything. There's a mine over there. There's a cave over here. There's a town over there. Who can I speak to? What can I do? Elden Ring has that same sort of feeling of excitement of like, I can literally go anywhere I want. I can explore this really rich, interesting world there's so much cool stuff on the horizon. I can't wait to find it all. Um, and this game makes you feel like when you stumble across something that it's really rewarding and exciting as well. Like unlike Skyrim, when you get to the end of a dungeon in Skyrim and you get your health potion and a crappy piece of armor that you'll never use, there's always something good at the end of like a dungeon or an area or something interesting that you've explored in Elden Ring. It might be a new weapon technique. It might be a new spell. It might be a really cool new weapon that you would have never found otherwise. And all of those things are just really awesome. Um, I, I can't quite, like everything feels handcrafted, Gianni. This game is so big. Why does it feel this good? <laughs> it's because it costs millions and millions of dollars to make most likely. Um, well, I'm curious as well about what you sort of touched on there about that feeling of exploration. Do you think there's a fact, because 
The Souls community and the people who play FromSoft games are notorious for literally pulling this thing at the seams. And we still exist at a point where the, not everything has been discovered. So, you know, you are really, in a way, just walking off into a, a world that people may not have got a full grasp on yet. So it really does feel like that that real, you know, you're on your own here, kid. Have fun. That is one of the best parts of playing this game around release as well, is you get to kind of be part of that kind of global community of like problem solvers and mystery seekers that the that these soul games are full of, where it's like, man, how does that quest work with that character anyway? We can't quite figure it out. Where do we need to go? And then you'll end up on Reddit or in like a Discord channel kind of talking with a whole bunch of other people that are playing swapping stories and ideas about what might work here and what might what you need to do there. And that's really funny. I mean, like that experience, I think, will still stay in the long term because you'll be able to play with friends, maybe blind, who've never played it before. But as wikis begin to fill up with lots of information, it'll become a lot easier to kind of unpack some of those mysteries. And I have to say, a lot of the fun of playing this around release was kind of being part of that community of discovery that happens with these games. And one of the best parts of a Souls game is the messaging system that's existed in all of these games since Demon's Souls, where um, it's almost like doing ad-libs. You get to choose a couple of base phrases with blank kind of spots in them and fill in a couple of pre-selected words from lists that you can then leave on the ground in locations to kind of, you know, tip off other people that are playing that might be exploring in that area. For example, um, you can tell someone that there might be a pack of enemies ahead so that they don't run into an ambush by leaving a message and then you can like, you know, upvote those messages so that they can be seen by more people or downvote them because a lot of people leave troll messages. But there is a lot of real fun in the organic like kind of community and sort of memes that develop around these messages that you'll find in the world that is really unlike anything else in a game as well. It's like all these things that they've played around with, all these systems that they've put into their other games really feel like they've come to life in a way that has never truly felt this realized before or in, in Elden Ring. It's it's really kind of fascinating. Um, what I find interesting as well is that you talked about how, you know, you need to kind of prepare yourself to be willing to die in this game and die many times uh, as part of the process. But I'm, I'm wondering, because that is something we have seen, you know, come to games more often these days. The penalty for failing is much smaller than it has been in the past. Does it feel like Elden Ring's a modern game? Because for me, looking at it as an outsider, there seems to be some systems in there that are quite different to what you might see from other developers, and even things like accessibility as well. You know, we've got lots of games which are extremely accessible for a variety of different play uh, play styles and play abilities, um, but does it hold up in that regard? Look, I'm I'm definitely the sort of person that leans towards put an easy mode in your game. I don't care. <laughs> like it really doesn't bother me if if this game had a difficulty setting or not. And I kind of do think that it would be a better game if it did have an, a story mode so that people could kind of get themselves lost in the rich lore and world building that's that's here. Um but that being said that there there's always ways to kind of circumvent um some of the real difficult humps that you might have. And by the time you get up to the really, really hard bumps, you've spent 80, 90 hours in this game and should have built up those skills to be able to progress to that point to actually be able to take those things on. And that is its own reward itself. But yeah, there's there's not much in the way of, of what I would like to call um, kind of modern accessibility settings when we talk about, you know, what we've seen in, say, like The Last of Us 2 or which is 
really like I think the gold standard for accessibility in terms of all of the different options that they had for um, players who might be blind or deaf um, to be able to really experience those games with um, with some enjoyment and you know that that's a problem and it's disappointing but I don't think it takes away from the fact that this is just a really kind of marvelous game I'm I yeah it's it's interesting when we talk about like say um punishment on death as well you know this this game still uses that system that all these games have used from FromSoft which is if you die you lose all of your runes which are essentially your experience and currency and you have to get back to your corpse and pick them up and if you die again before you get there you lose everything um which you know Hollow Knight used as well um and I think the only thing to take in mind with that is if you lose a bunch of those who cares you'll get them back like it's very easy this is an open world game and you can do all sorts of grinding and and kind of farming for more runes if you lose a bunch so like the ability to kind of break this game like you would with skyrim or horizon or an assassin's creed game by farming experience is there so losing experience doesn't feel like that much of a punishment any anymore if anything, it just kind of reminds you that you should really like try to level up before you tackle some hard stuff so that you've got no experience going into it. So who cares if you die, <laughs> which is how I would approach things and how I've always approached these sorts of Souls games, which is like when I'm going into a new area or a new dungeon, I level up first. And so that way, any experience that I get while exploring the dungeon, if I lose it, who cares? If I manage to get to a safe point, then yay, I get to keep that experience. But like, really, I'm preparing myself to die because I'm exploring and these things happen in these games and it's fine. And I think that's just the mindset that you need to have going into a game like this, which is death is fine. It's totally okay. Everyone dies. Think of it like learning a musical instrument. You're not going to be great at first. You're going to need to practice a bit. Um, once you kind of memorize the piece, you're able to play it a bit better and exploring a dungeon sort of like that. You kind of map it out in your head. You start working out where the enemies are and you start working out the best way to get around it. And that is a really fun, satisfying feeling of mastery. Does it do a good job of teaching players how to play the game or is there an assumption based on people who play this game should know the way that these things roll out? <laughs> um no it does a, it does a terrible job um i it's become a notorious meme that the way that this game is set up um when you're in the very opening area the tutorial is in a hole in the ground next to where you start and most people walk past it and go out the gate and start the game proper and never go through the tutorial which i find very very funny um but if you jump down that hole you will be able to get some back basics like this is how you lock on the camera and all that sort of stuff um and there are tutorial pop-ups as well which help with things but there's also a lot of obtuse stuff like when i first started playing this game um there was an item called a rune arc which said enhances the power of your great rune equipped and i was like what's a great rune how do i equip it this was like 20 hours into the game i literally had no idea how this entire like mechanic or element of the game worked and it wasn't until I defeated a big story boss that I got my first great rune. And then I also had to read the item description to discover that I needed to power up that rune by going to a special location. Um, and then once I did that, I was able to then interact with that game mechanic. So there's things like that in this game that are there. But that is what the internet, what Reddit, what your friends who are playing it are for. This is a game that is designed around the idea that you're going to be talking to other people that are playing it either passively through the messages on the ground 
um, the blood stains that dead players leave so you can see how they died so that you don't make the same mistake or the cooperative multiplayer that you're doing. It is a game that expects you to be in conversation with other people that are playing it to kind of unpack some of those things. And, you know, um, that being said, I think if you can kind of get past the initial hurdle of how does this game work and, you know, watch a YouTube video or two, then the sky's sort of the limits for what you want to do. I would say that it's more accessible than, say, Monster Hunter, because I feel like that game throws you in the dark and then you're literally like, I don't know what I'm doing. The only reason I got into Monster Hunter was I watched YouTube videos that taught me how to play it. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the characterization, some of the characters you meet in this world? I've seen a turtle pope pop, uh, popping around somewhere that looks very intriguing. There's a cool witch, apparently. I don't know anything about this world. How does it, uh, you know, build out the world so you're in a sort of immersive, enjoyable uh, place with living characters? Oh, God, it's so good. Um, so there has been a lot of conversation about the fact that George R. R. Martin, the uh, fantasy writer who is well known for... The book series, A Song of Ice and Fire, the TV show Game of Thrones, was involved in the world-building process of this game. How involved he was, I don't really know, because what the end result is feels like a lot of what we've come to expect from FromSoft. So, you know, themes around a fantasy world kind of in decline, um, endless cycles of kind of repetition in restoring the world and the world falling apart, that seems to be the prevailing theme of Elden Ring. Um, but I guess FromSoft has sort of developed some more storytelling here. There are cutscenes. there's more dialogue um, than there has been in some previous games as sparse as it is. Um, and the characters are really wonderful as well. Like, I think what's really interesting is that this game kind of allows you to do that thing that Skyrim did where you think of an idea of who you could be in this world and where you fit into this game's sort of lore and story and allows you to then create a character that then fits your idea of who you are in this place and then puts you on a grand adventure, which I really love. So you can kind of come into this game being like, I've chosen the prisoner. I was clearly, you know, in prison somewhere. Now I've escaped. I'm on this quest to kind of become the new Elden Lord because I've been called into this place by the God Lord that runs it called marika um she's asked me to come become the olden lord and restore order uh to this shattered world by piecing together the Elden ring and putting it back um that's sort of the basic story but from there you can sort of go well who is my prisoner am i someone who's interested in sorcery and therefore wants to explore the world of the sorcerers and start talking to characters that are invested in like the lore and the mysteries of magic in this world. And there are some really cool characters that do that. You've mentioned the witch Rani um, already, who is a really fascinating character, how she fits into the lore of this world and the gods and demigods that make up it in the pantheon. I'm going to kind of leave um, to the side because I think it's really interesting for people to discover that. Um, and you do get the opportunity to really unpack a lot of what's happening through that with conversations with her quests with her as well which are all optional they're not part of the main story but span dozens of hours and go into lots of unique subzones that you would have never found without going on these quests which i find incredible you could just miss them all if you didn't look for it um and then you know you've mentioned the total pope who i really love he seems to be like a priest of like a broken cathedral which was once the 
site of a holy marriage between two gods that came together and united two houses in this kingdom. Radigan once cleansed himself with celestial dew, repented his territorial aggressions, and swore his love to Renala. The order of the Erdri and the fate of the moon were conjoined, and all the wounds of war forgiven. This miracle blesses the church to this day, and so you need only follow Radigan's example to restore any bond, however strained or severed, to its rightful state of harmony. Um, and he provides some really fascinating background about all those characters and some hints about some of the mythology around some of the god characters in this world, like Marika and her second Elden Lord and, and consort, Radagon, who is, uh, I guess he was a smith and a warrior. Um, and you learn about how they um, came together, their relationship, and a, and a few other things through that turtle as well. So he kind of fills in some gaps. There's also that sort of classic FromSoft thing where you can read item descriptions from, from equipment and items on the ground that you pick up that kind of give you little sentences and tastes and teasers of what's in this world. And then the rest is really all environmental storytelling. It's like, why is that castle over there? Why does that castle look the way it is? Why are those enemies in that castle? There is a narrative reason as to why these strange enemies that I tend to find usually around sorcerers are in this particular place. Maybe it's because a group of sorcerers had a fight with the people that used to run this castle. So that is really interesting stuff that kind of keeps like percolating in your brain as to like, what is going on in this lived world that I'm in? Who are all these fascinating characters within it? What is the mythology of this world that's been set up and how can I understand it and unpack the mysteries of it? Um, speaking of being who you would like to be and discovering the world that you'd like to discover, this is if this is a fighting game, you've got to fight people and it's not just walking around and talking to people. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the combat uh, that you, the combat style that you chose um, and what you can expect from this game um, in terms of how you actually fight these gigantic bosses and learn their patterns? Yeah. So combat in this game is very, um, if you played a previous FromSoft game, then you kind of know what you're getting into. It's very kind of deliberate, careful, considered action RPG combat um, that, you know, you've, you've might have experienced in the Dark Souls series or in Bloodborne. Here, I would say the closest analog is Dark Souls 3. It feels like they've revamped that combat system, added in a few new key mechanics, including a really cool combat mechanic where if you are guarding with a shield um, and someone hits it, you can immediately counter them, which makes um, shield combat a lot more visceral and interesting and less sort of like, um, I guess, passive, if that makes sense. So um, all characters have a stamina bar um, and everything that you do, whether it's casting a spell or rolling and dodging or blocking or attacking, consumes a bit of stamina. And so when you run out of stamina, you can block and you'll take full damage and be stunned. You have to really manage that stamina in combat. And combat becomes about like um, spacing between you and the enemy, um, watching their attack um, patterns and kind of finding openings where it's safe to attack. And everything is sort of deliberate in how, how it's paced and how it's animated. So you can really sort of unpack and understand what might be happening to take advantage of those situations. There's also an FP system, which is similar to mana, um, and that will kind of use your spells, um, will drain that, but also weapon arts for, for characters that don't use magic. 
um, will draw off that FP pool as well. And so do your summons as well. So there's kind of like two resources that you're using. Um, you need to use healing potions, which are limited to, to heal back your health. Um, there are some spells that do that too, but they use FP and you need to use FP potions to bring back your mana. And you actually kind of allot your potions uh, between your healing and your mana potions when you sit at a rest site. So um, if you're like a very melee focused character that's not casting a lot of spells, you can probably afford to only have one mana potion for your weapon arts and then just stack up on lots of healing potions. But if you're playing, say, a sorcery build, you're going to need a lot of mana potions so that you can keep chugging and keep casting spells. So there's a really interesting trade-off against healing and mana recovery in this game, which I really like. Um, in terms of what I played, I went down the route of, I always play a dexterity-based character in these games because I find them really fun. There's lots of interesting weapon types like twin blades and, and samurai swords that you can use when you go down the dexterity route. So I also knew that Elden Ring was going to have a lot of magic in it. So I decided I wanted to be like a combination of intelligence and magic and dexterity. Um, and so my character sort of started off as um, someone that used a, a sword a lot, but also then would incorporate a little bit of magic every now and then to kind of like pick off enemies and kind of take them out from far away. That later turned into a bit of a spell sword because I found a bunch of close range magic spells that like allow you to like summon just like a phantom sword that slashes really fast and does a lot of damage. So I started using that a lot and getting up really close and aggressive with sort of magic sword spells. Then towards the end of the game, I discovered a weapon which I think a lot of people found towards some point in the game and started using called Moonveil, which is a mag magical katana that allows you to sheath it and then unsheath it to shoot out a ray of magic while also attacking with it that does tremendous damage. And then I sort of transitioned fully into being a very close range um, sort of magical katana user that would use spells um, to kind of clear out rooms or or kind of soften up bigger enemies before I went in to finish them in melee. Um, for a lot of my boss fights, I would summon because, frankly, I don't care about soloing enemies without summoning and, and being like, the, it's like whatever that mechanics in the game, I'm going to use it, it's going to be fun. Um, so I would summon in someone to tank for me for the most part, and then I would kind of go in and just unload as much damage as I could. And usually I would go for like a boom bust sort of play style where I was taking out a boss as fast as I could before they could kill me essentially. And that was a lot of fun. <laughs> there were some bosses towards the end of the game that really punish that play style and you have to really perfect like every attack that they're going to lay on you so that you can dodge them. And that's also really fun to me as well. Um, so um, those were really fun because it was all about like counting and timing and working out those precise windows where I knew I could be a bit greedy and then being very careful outside of that as well, which is a fun way to play too. So, but there's so many ways to play this yeah, game. I think I almost like, um, anyone you talk to will have a completely different answer to the question I just asked you then, because it seems like there is a, a variety of different ways to play this thing. And I think after everything, you know, this is a game that has sold 12 million copies in about, what, two weeks or so that it's been out, maybe three weeks now. Um, and, you know, that's the fastest selling FromSoft title of, of you know, ever uh, in that time. It's 
one of the highest selling games ever in the last you know six months or so so we're talking big big numbers which people are going to have a very different experience of as they play through and adam i think we could talk about <laughs> we could talk about elden ring for ages and ages and ages and maybe we may need to get some friends on and have a bit of a, a spoilery discussion of of what this game is uh in for a future episode of mainstream what do you reckon I would love that because I feel like I have so many wonderful stories of just exploration in this game that I want to really unpack. Like, oh, the atmosphere when you're exploring some of these locations and dungeons is incredible. And they're so well designed that they are deliberately built in a way to kind of make you feel that excitement of discovery and being like, I'm the first person to ever find this thing. But really, the designers are so good. They've just hand-built their level in a way that you stumble across that cool thing. Um, it's Yeah, it's a masterpiece. Uh, it's Elden Ring, uh, developed by From Software, available on Windows, on PlayStation, and Xbox right now. Unfortunately for you, however, you are maidenless. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream. So this has been Mainstream episode 39. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode, Adam, and talking uh, in depth about uh, Elden Ring. And again, only very scratching the surface, so we may well need to come back to it. We appreciate you being on the episode. My pleasure. It's always good to come back from the lands between. (laughs) Thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the mainstream theme music and to Omni Studio, our podcast host, for supporting Sifter uh, to put out this uh, podcast and all the other podcasts we have. Sifter is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Kyle Paletto, Fiona Bartholomew, Daniel Ang, Adam Christo uh, is you. Thanks, Adam. And uh, Mitch Lowe is our senior producer. And my name is Gianni Giovanni. I'm the executive producer. Um, Adam, if people want to find Sifter stuff on social media, where can they go to? Oh, man, we are on most things at Sifter HQ. Uh, really simple and easy to find. Uh, you can find us there. We're also, we've got a website, sifter.com.au. So you can head there too, find articles, videos, podcast content, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and we've also got two podcasts now. Sifter's a bit of a network. We've actually got three podcasts in total. Mainstream's just one of the podcasts. Um, this uh, other pod- first podcast we have is called Lightmap, where we speak to game developers, creatives, people who are doing cool things in interactive media. Um, just recently, we spoke to a number of different people about the first amount of video game funding from the federal government for seven years. We speak to IGEA, which is the peak body. We speak to Screen Australia, who are giving out the funding. We talk to developers about what impact the old funding had on their on their game development career, and also developers thinking about what the potential might hold for future funding as well. We've also got another show that comes out every Sunday, which is a news recap show called Walkthrough. Kyle Paletto will take you through the biggest stories of the week, so if you are looking to catch up on the news in between rounds of Elden Ring, uh, that's the place to go. Maybe chuck it on in the background. That's all the time that we have for this particular episode. Until next time, have fun. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. 
Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 